SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chin. Good evening. What's your tagline, Stefan? Uh, wheelbarrow for my dreams. Sam Schultz is also here. Sam, what's your tagline? Big bad Beetleborg. Sari Riley is here as well. Hello, Sari. Hello. What's your tagline? A whole lot of blubber. Well, that might make more sense in a moment unless you've already read the the title of the podcast (laughs) and i'm hank green and my tagline is the memory of the time that you found that bag which every week around scishow tangents we try to get together to one of amaze and delight each other with science facts we're playing for glory but we're also keeping score and awarding sam bucks from week to week we do everything we can to stay on topic but we're not always great at that so if the rest of the team deems your tangent unworthy, we will force you to give up one of your sandbox. So tangent with care. And I really can't afford it. So I'm going to be careful. <laughs> and as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Stefan. 
This poem is called Character Selection. If your spirit has always wanted to set sail, you could do much worse than being spawned as a whale. Those beasts beautifully breaching the surface to inhale, though they were almost hunted to extinction. That's an important detail. But you could strain the sea through a comb-like baleen. That's the biggest krill cocktail that's ever been seen. Or if you'd rather be a toothed whale in this scene, you could be the narwhal. It's just a unicorn that's marine. You could be a humpback singing in the dead of night, a blue whale that's bigger than anything, dead or alive, a cuvier's beaked if you'd prefer the <laughs> deepest dives, or a bowhead whale. They live the longest lives. And after mm. you've lived that long life roaming free, you'll ultimately head to the bottom of the sea, where for decades other creatures will enjoy quite the feast. And then you can choose a new life, maybe this time as a tree. Oh, man. Oh, Got a I little love, bit of spirituality in there, too. I love the sensation of just grooving along with you on a really good rhyme scheme, and then then you do a slant rhyme. <laughs> well, you know, I had to throw one in there. Mm-hmm. It was a very death-positive poem, too. I like yeah. it. It's like, you're still part of it. Let yeah. things eat your flesh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the topic for today is whales. And as far as I know, this is a fairly distinct taxonomic uh, distinction. Um, there's definitely sort of the dolphins and whales. And then then you're like definitely on, on your island. But then if you just say whales, is there some bleed over? Like, where does that line happen? The line is somewhere at the order level. So dolphins, whales, and porpoises are all in the class mammalia, which includes mm-hmm. all other mammals. And then they're in the order... And I found two names for this, artiodactyla or setardiodactyla, which is all the even-toed ungulates. So Deer and dolphins are the same. <laughs> yeah, and hippos. They're all kind of in the same order. And then there are suborders, and they I think they just ran out of taxonomic levels. And so they were like, oh, I guess all this has to happen at the order level. There's a suborder called whipomorpha. Not exactly sure what is in that, but the important part is the infraorder cetacea is where whales excludes dolphins and porpoises. Okay. Mm. Oh. And and the the thing we call killer whales are not in that order. They are in, they are in the dolphins and porpoises group. Mm-hmm. How are they figuring out how many toes a whale's got? <laughs> <laughs> is it in their fins? Yeah, it's in their fin. Oh, like their fins okay. are just adapted hooves, basically. Mm. So they still got fingies in there. They're just finned up. <laughs> Anything with like a fin or a wing, I'm pretty sure. Most things with fins or wings also still have fingies if you look close <laughs> enough. Okay. <laughs> Do you know where the uh where the etymology of the of the whale? Yeah, it seems like it comes from Proto-Indo-European for qualo or squalo, which is the source of Latin squalus, which is a kind of large sea fish. So oh, it okay. seems like people were like it's a big thing in the ocean and probably called a lot of things. <laughs> whales or or variations thereof. Same thing with that order that I mentioned, cetacea. It's from the Latin cetus or cetus, which is any large sea creature or like a sea monster, essentially. Finally, some some reasonable origins for these words. (laughs) (laughs) I love that uh, we're like, sea monsters don't exist. But like to people in the past, they're like, what do you mean? We see them all the time. There's giant things that live in the sea and they like hit our boats. There's fish that we eat, all the stuff we can safely ignore, and then the things that we cannot ignore. And we have a word for that. Thank you, Sari. And now it is time for... 
where I have brought some science facts, but only one of them is going to be true. You can play along at home at twitter.com slash scishowtangents. We'll do our best to have that up before you <laughs> tweet to us to let us know that we forgot. I got a so, lot of irons in the fire, you know? You get, there's a lot going on, absolutely. <laughs> the rest of you guys have to figure out which is the true fact. And also all of you at home have to figure that out. And if you get it right, you get the sandbuck. If you don't, then I get the sandbuck. Everybody, are you ready to hear what I've brought for you today? Yes. So we were just talking about killer whales and how they're not whales, but that's <laughs> but they're called whales, so uh-huh. uh, here they are. <laughs> and they poop, uh, which is not a super surprise, but I was surprised to find that their poop does something weird. It floats for a little bit, and it is a bright orange, so fairly easy to see, snotty, this is how it was described to me, <laughs> snotty mass... And then it sinks. So it is only on top of the surface for a little while before it starts to starts to sink. And for almost everyone on Earth, this is not an issue. You have will never find yourself thinking, boy, I wish that whale poop hadn't sunk, unless you are a scientist who studies whale health. Because if you are that scientist, you would like to collect that fecal matter and analyze it to learn vital things about the health of local whale populations. And so scientists do very much want to collect whale poop. However, it sinks fairly quickly, so they had to develop a way to get the whale poop. Mm-hmm. And one of these ways is the, is the way. The other two are made <laughs> up. So here is, the, is number way one. Uh, number one way. Uh, scientists... <laughs> have trained dogs to sniff out the whale poop, uh, taking the dog out on a boat. You don't just like throw the dog in the water, okay. to be clear. You take the dog out on the boat and uh, and then the dog will smell the, the whale poop and then point the people in the right direction until they get to the, uh, to the place where the promising smell uh, originated. Fact number two, scientists have designed a robot pooper scooper for the whales, the robot is operated remotely and it it swims along with the whales. And then when a poop arrives, the pooper scooper knows that because it's already there with the whales. And then it can collect the poop and then make its way back to the scientists wherever they are at. Or fact number three, scientists created a temporary killer whale litter box. So how the heck do you do that? Well, you don't actually tell them to poop somewhere. You just make sure that they show up somewhere. So you lure the killer whales to a designated area by congregating a bunch of things that look like fishing boats and whales like fishing boats because they often have a bunch of like fish being thrown off of them that are like bycatch and then the whales get to eat that. So they're attracted to the sound and the the shape of those fishing, like things that look like fishing boats. The whales move in and then they are, you know, just because they're like getting ready to eat or maybe just because they're around, they poop and that allows the scientists to see it because it's pretty visible in the water and grab it. So again, your facts, and if you want to play along at home, go to twitter.com slash scishowtangents are dogs trained to sniff out the poop, you've got a robot pooper scooper, and you've got a killer whale litter box made out of fishing boats. Oh, boy. So this is a this is not an AI robot. This is a controlled robot? Like it is a, a human-operated okay. robot, yes. Okay. I don't know how you'd see the whales. What? 
Just go out on a, just buy a ticket on one of those whale watching expeditions and take your little robot think, pooper scooper with you. I don't think scientists have to buy tickets to whale watching expeditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, uh, I think that there are studying whales that have fairly established routines. So they're right. local whales. Mm. So they, they have some idea of where the whale is going to be. And that one solves the question of like, scooping it up too because the robot just does it you don't have to put it in your boat with your dog <laughs> a big turd oh yeah. yeah the dog one feels like it has very strong pros and cons like pro the dog would be having a great time on the boat probably <laughs> yeah. as long as it's like looking around lots of things to sniff con how do you even get the poop yeah uh, like reach out with one of those pool scoopers uh-huh. and, and uh-huh. pick it up also with my oh. one experience with a hound dog that sniffs uh <laughs> We had a beagle growing up and she would just stick her face into anything that she wanted to smell. And especially if it was stinky, because she wanted to get as much of the smell as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that she wasn't very smart, but <laughs> also, I don't know how she would, I think she would get very confused if wind was carrying a scent from far away and like pointing in different directions. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are hunting dogs that are better at like localizing the scent. Ocean um, hunting dogs. Yeah. yeah. Poop hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. I feel like the dogs. I cannot. Em- I cannot emphasize how bright orange whale poop is <laughs> or killer whale poop is. It's just like yeah. terrifyingly bright orange. Are you gonna tell us why it's so orange, or is it just? I'm that's not. Just the way I don't know is. the answer to that uh, question. Yeah, right. I, I did look at a, a number of pictures of whale poop, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you just said "wow, orange" and left it at that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I had other things to figure out. <laughs> And then the litter box, that feels reasonable to me mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Get animals to poop in a place. It's a storied <laughs> human tradition. As long as we've domesticated animals, it's like poop here. And animals also seem to tend to poop in set places. Uh-huh. <laughs> so wait, are they feeding them out of these fishing boats too? They aren't. They don't have to. The the, okay. the whales anticipate that there will be food. Okay, so they're getting ready yeah. to chow down. Mm-hmm. Cream meal pooping. Definitely, <laughs> the whales seem smart enough to to like make out a, a connection between fishing boats and food. I do know that people love building robots for the ocean, so I'm yeah. definitely gonna go. I'm gonna go with the second one. I think. All right, mm. Sam's on robots. I'm gonna go with litter box. Ooh, the only one I don't like is the dogs one. That sounds mm-hmm. so like 1992. Um, <laughs> what? When they I, invented dogs? When they, you, know, you don't need dogs on boats anymore. <laughs> yeah. You got robots. <laughs> I, I'll go with the litter box one. Well, everyone, thank you so much. Oh, it's no, the dog. It's no. dog. Yeah. So uh, recently, Tucker, which is the name of, of the star dog, retired <laughs> after 10 years of oh sniffing out whale poop. The dog who loves poop more than any other dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Tucker's a, uh, a, a black lab mix and uh, has, has sniffed out the majority of the 348 fecal samples that had been gathered over the course of his career. So wow. very effective at, uh, at at poop sniffing out. I was also surprised. Like, it seems like Tucker could be like, it's that way, but it's like, well, where's the wind coming from? How does yeah. Tucker know what actual direction it is? Yeah. But hey, dogs, they're very good at that. <laughs> you can find out things like hormone levels, uh, pollutants like DDT. You can tell what sex the animal was. And it helps researchers figure out the whale's diet, how it changes over the course of a year. It can even assess how high rates of late-term stillbirth are in pregnant killer whales. 
connected to diet and the presence of toxins. Also, bonus for Tucker is that he didn't like the water, so he never went in uh, and just stayed in the boat and had no interest in going in the water. And yes, they do use pooper scoopers to pick up the very orange poop out of the water. And Tucker could sniff poops out from about a mile away, and this is also a thing that has been used to get poop from owls, caribou, and giant armadillo. You were right that there are lots of robots in ocean science, um, and there are plenty of robots in whale science, and they're mostly used to follow a pod, but they mostly use sound to track populations because they can't like keep up with the whales. Mm. There is also a robot called Luigi that's designed to collect samples from sewers, like for human sewers. Because uh, uh, he's like a plumber. Yeah, that's yes. why they call him Luigi. <laughs> oh. Do you think anybody will ever listen to our show and then do the one of the fake ideas that we come up with? Because a I don't know, robot maybe. seems like a great idea. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to use your scooper. Yeah, I think it's I think it's maybe hard. Yeah, well, what you'd need is like a drone to like be taking pictures of the pod and then see when the orange shows up, mm-hmm. right? And then like deploy the pooper scooper. I thought for sure the orange was going to factor into the answer because yeah. you said it so many times. And a robot could see orange, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it could. As for the the litter box, this is a kind of a thing in the Gulf of Alaska where fishermen, they created an acoustic lure using speakers that played the sound of fishing boats to lure sperm whales away from their actual boats because they didn't want the the sperm whales around uh, because they grab the fish off of their lines and eat all of the things that they catch. Little sneaky guys. Next up, we're going to take a short break and then it'll be time for the Fact Off. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> you want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah. That yeah. bean's not going to grow if there's a constant drain on the the bean. That (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) 
different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the, 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 the part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you... Uh, by yourself you gotta be careful but luckily shopify (laughs) has all kinds of little tools to help you with that to help you with increasing conversions to help you with managing orders with customer support with all of the stuff uh because it's a you know i don't know it feels like the industry standard and so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your shopify work for you in particular That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting, the downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everybody. Sam Buck totals. I've got three. Stefan's got one. And Sari and Sam don't have anything yet, but they have a chance to get some points right now. Sari and Sam have brought science facts to present to me and Stefan in an attempt to blow our minds. And we each have a Sam Buck to award to the fact that we like the most and to decide who's going to go first. I've got a trivia question for you. The North Atlantic right whale has been listed as endangered since 1970 and is one of the most endangered species of whale today. At the end of 2018, researchers' best estimate for how many remained was this number. Uh, ah, shoot. I'm going to say... Oh, okay, you go first. Oh, go ahead. No, no, please, after <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm going to say 120. Okay, uh, Sam. I'm gonna say 45. Oh. The answer is 409. So better than you guys thought, but still not enough. It's, it's not great. That that means that uh, Sarah, you get to decide who goes first. Sam, you can go first. 
Oh, thanks. Okay. In 2019, researchers from Stanford voyaged out into Monterey Bay with a 20-foot pole and some suction cups to try to collect data that had never been collected before, the heart rate of a blue whale. Since it hadn't been recorded before, you might think that getting a blue whale's heartbeat uh, is a pretty tricky proposition, and you are right. Because even though you can row right up to them when they come up for air, because they're just kind of hanging out and breathing, and stick something onto them, most of the skin that's close enough to their heart is super stretchy and expands a lot when they're underwater sucking up all the water to eat the krill, and it would pop the suction cups right off. But there's Mm -hmm. like one spot just next to the left fin that doesn't stretch too much and is close enough to the heart to get the reading. Uh, And so that's where they stuck it on. And after their first attempt, the heart monitoring device that they stuck on stayed on for eight hours of the whale that they chose diving for food and surfacing and then detached and floated to the surface to be collected with all the precious new data. And the results that they found kind of flew in the face of what they had, people had assumed about blue whale hearts. So Hmm. mammals that dive to eat, switch between a really rapid heart rate when they're surfaced to get their blood reoxygenated and a really slow heart rate when they're diving so that they can Mm -hmm. stay underwater longer. Like a blue whale stays underwater for 15 minutes at a time. And based on equations that pretty faithfully calculate other mammals resting in active heart rates, the blue whale should have a resting heart rate of 15 beats per minute and a diving heart rate of 11 beats per minute. Hmm. Okay. But the data they collected showed that the resting heart rate was more than twice that, and it topped out at 37 beats per minute, and that their diving heart rate was way slower than they thought, and it ranged from 8 beats per minute all the way down to 2 beats per minute. Whoa! Whoa. And even though those are both really low numbers by human standards, at its most extreme, that's like a 10 to 1 change in heart rate. Mm -hmm. And at humans' most extreme, we only have a 3 to 1 change in heart rate. So Mm. they're like really pumping it for how big they are. Um, So based on this, the researchers suggested that the blue whale, which is the biggest animal that we've ever found that has ever lived, might have reached the largest size possible for an animal or at least like a a diving aquatic animal, but possibly any kind of animal to get since their hearts were already beating extremely fast during their normal just like cycle of eating and Mm -hmm. surfacing. And they weren't doing anything weird like running away from something. And their hearts were already beating like as fast and extremely as possible to give them enough oxygen to dive to eat as much food as they need to live. And that's just what they need to do all day, every day. So it seems like it's possible that they've reached the perfect equilibrium of maximum heart output and maximum food input and they've started bumping up against like the fundamental laws of (laughs) physics that's stopping them from getting any bigger. Do you know how many tries it took to figure out where the least stretchy part of tissue was? (laughs) I think think from what I read this was like the first attempt with this type of suction cup so I think they just knew what they needed to do and they did it Uh, the first time. hmm. Cool. Well, that's super cool. I'm glad that we've done this good whale research. Uh-huh. Sari, what do you got for us? I have something directly related to the stretchiness of whales, what? which oh. I'm very excited about. It dovetails so nicely. Like in Stefan's poem, he said that baleen whales are the ones that filter feed. They suck in water and then squeeze it back out through keratinous bristle hair things to filter out krill and other snacks. And there's a group of baleen whales called rargles which include humpback and blue whales, and they filter feed in a very extreme way called lunge feeding. And this is where they swim forward really fast, like up to four meters per second, and then open their mouths and balloon out. So they look Mm. basically like a giant tadpole with the back end of their body still thin and then the front end of their body 
completely full. Sucking in water, that's about 140% of its entire body mass. One estimate oh. is 70,000 liters of water at one time. <sighs> mm. And then drag, like a parachute, slows them to a stop. So this is a really energetically costly maneuver. And this makes it sound like they might just pop like a balloon with that much water rushing in. <laughs> but there are three major physiological adaptations that make this possible. One, their jaw joints are flexible links that lets their jaws open up to 90 degrees. And the bones in their chin area of their mandible aren't fused like in many other mammals. And instead, there's a specialized sensory organ in there in the gap that help these movements happen safely and coordinated. Number two, their tongue is really weak and mostly elastic fatty tissue. So ours is really muscular. Theirs is really floppy. So it can flop backwards and squish to the bottom of their mouth, which extends all the way to their belly button to make room for water flooding in, <laughs> which is weird. So their tongue just gets out of the way. And then number three, not only do they have extra stretchy skin, like Sam was saying, and in their blubber and muscle that helps their mouth expand, they also have something basically unheard of in animals, stretchy nerves. So while humans get whiplash or can get really bad nerve damage from stretching too far or too fast, whale nerves are sort of like a bungee cord or a slinky wrapped in like a sock is sort of how <laughs> I interpret the diagram. Okay, okay, um, yeah. But there's like a folded inside part with a solid collagen-reinforced elastic outer coating. And as the outside stretches up to twice its original length, the inside just unfolds and uncurls to avoid that intense strain. And then when it stops sucking in water, pushes it back out, the whole thing just collapses again. And the outside looks relatively the same, but the inside folds up again. I don't know how I got this far in life without realizing that a whale's mouth opens like 90 degrees. Oh. And the illustration that I have just come across of that <laughs> is just so deeply different from how I imagine a whale to look. It looks like, like a microorganism. Its mouth is way too big. I thought, kind of thought their mouths didn't even open at all. I thought they just kind of went ink a little bit. They go full Pac-Man, though. They go full Pac-Man. <laughs> Do they need a tongue or are they just got a vestigial tongue? I think they use it. So once they squeeze out the water, I read somewhere in one of these articles that they use their tongue to like lick the back of their baleen to like oh, scoop it into their stomach uh, or like help swallow a little bit. So they need a uh -huh. little bit of muscular action, but. I don't think it's how, it's like not how they make sounds. So they don't need a tongue right. in the way that we have a tongue. So we are choosing between Sari's explanation of all of the different adaptations necessary for whales to extremely quickly inflate basically half of their body with water, or Sam with a discussion of how blue whale heartbeats were measured for the first time and also how strangely variable blue whale heartbeats are. There's big pumpers and big gulpers. Which of these people <laughs> oh, is more gross. of your friend? <laughs> Which friend do you like more? Okay, I'm not on that criteria, but I think I'm ready. I'm not. I was too busy making, making you uncomfortable. <laughs> Three... Two, one, Sam. Sam. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Sari. I knew about this suction cup thing, but I didn't realize how significant the science was that we had figured out from, from, from it. 
I love their big hearts. And (laughs) let's be honest, we all know who the most lovable tangenter is. Mm. Uh, It's you. It's me. (laughs) Everyone loves you, Sam. Everybody loves all of us in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) So diplomatic. All right, now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific mind. It's from at Verderwald. How do whales navigate and remember where they've been before? I have no idea. And that's what scientists say, too. (laughs) Oh, Oh, hey, all right. (laughs) Well, this one was Um, easy. (laughs) (laughs) So we have no idea, but we have some guesses. Because scientists aren't just happy stating no idea, period. Mm -hmm. Studying whale migration is really hard because we can't study them in a box. And whales are so big that their migration is also incredibly big. So it's just Mm -hmm. like you have to track whales over great distances. But one project took eight years using satellite to track humpback whale migration. They traveled about 10,000 miles. I think it's that's in one direction. And using satellite tags that were embedded in 16 whales from 2003 to 2010, um, they noticed that humpback whales never tracked more than five degrees off their planned course. Wow. And wow. in ha- over half of the segments, or around half of the segments, they stayed within one degree of their planned course. What? Which was, like, beyond what they thought was possible for an animal migration, mm. particularly one in the water. And their guess is that it has to do with a lot of different mechanisms. So using solar bodies like the sun and stars as a frame of reference, some degree of the Earth's magnetism, which also influences a lot of animals that migrate in ways that we don't quite understand, and environmental cues, whether that's other whale songs, like helping steer Mm. them in the correct direction or possibly echoes, or landmarks like underwater volcanoes, so they can like pass mm. by that in a distinct mm. direction. There are some other studies that reinforce these theories where we think solar storms have caused whales, um, particularly gray whales, to beach themselves more mm. often, where they get messed up because they might use the magnetism from the Earth's magnetic field to navigate, and then the solar storm messes that up, and so then they're thrown off. I love the idea that uh, whales are just listening to other whales, and there's like one whale knows what they're doing, and everybody else is just following them. (laughs) This way. I see the Big Dipper. Oh, God. Whales are so smart, and I want to know. I want to talk to one. Uh There's a whale out there who's looking at, like, the moon at the same time we're looking at the moon. Somewhere (laughs) out there. Do all yeah. whales echolocate or is that just a some whale thing? I think most, if not all whales, vocalize for like communication and navigation um, and maybe some sort of feeding. But I think echolocation is a particular kind of, I make a sound and then I listen for that exact sound uh-huh. reflecting back that I, uh-huh. I don't think all whales have the equipment for. They're too big to care if something's in their way, maybe. Yeah, unlike bats, I don't think they're trying to avoid things that are eating them or like right. trees. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So trees. Trees. <laughs> Aquatic tree, you know? Yeah, I like the idea that whales don't have to worry about running into stuff. <laughs> yeah. it's just like, you need to worry about me running into you. I don't have to worry about me running into you. That was the weirdest way to say that. If you want to ask the science qu- couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes 
episodes every week. Thank you to at Warlocktopus, at Lioness82, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Final scores! Sari with zero, Stefan with one, Sam with two, and me with three. <laughs> Which means Sari and Sam are now tied for the lead, and I'm still pretty deeply in last. <laughs> If you like this show and you want to help us out, you can do that in a bunch of ways that are pretty easy. You can leave us a review on Stitcher or iTunes. That helps us know what you like about the show. You can also tweet out your favorite moments from the episode so that we can look at your tweets and go, ah, that was nice. (laughs) And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunabedish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Pygmy sperm whales in the genus Kogia are relatively small when we think of whales. They're only like 3.3 meters long. And they have a unique mm-hmm. defense mechanism that is sometimes described by scientists as, quote, anal syrup. Uh, oh, and basically no. what this no. means is they have a no. sac near their intestines that releases a bunch of reddish brown goop that looks like poop or blood or something. And it can cover an area... Of 100 square meters. I don't know why it isn't cubed. While the whale escapes (laughs) from whatever scared it. And unlike bright orange poop, we haven't actually collected or analyzed anal syrup goop. So what it's made of is just totally speculation. How could you resist collecting anal syrup?